How many of you like surprises? Oh, a few of you, yeah? Kind of depends, doesn't it? Surprising can be wonderful. I, I woke up one day this week, and I walked up the stairs, and I was confronted with a barrier. And I got through that, tried to go into the living room, confronted with a barrier. Got through that, went into the kitchen, confronted with a barrier. Surprise after surprise, but they were good surprises because it was my birthday, and my son had put up uh, streamers for me. Later in the day, yeah. Later, clap for my son, thank you. Yeah, he, he appreciates that. Uh, later in the day, uh, I was confronted with a barrier, but it was a cord on the floor that I tripped over and the appliance came crashing down. We thought it might be broken and that was a bad, a bad surprise. So it depends. They can make you very joyful or they can be very sorrowful or, or uh, bad experiences. Have you ever walked into a movie or a play or an event and uh, you had very low expectations uh, and then you were mildly surprised or maybe greatly surprised? I, I don't remember what movie it was, but years ago, I remember going into a movie where I, I just thought this was something I just had to do because my friends were going and uh, uh, I had to go with them, but I wasn't really excited about it. And I was captivated, and it was just a beautiful surprise. And I remember making a decision that from then on, I would have low expectations for everything in life so that I could be surprised greatly and joyfully by everything. Uh, I learned very quickly, well, fairly quickly, that that's not the best way to live, to have low expectations for everything. But life is full of surprises. Some of you may have heard the story of a, a longtime actress and comedian named Gracie Allen. She was married to George Burns and they were actors and comedians together. Well, she was given a live alligator as a practical joke one time. I don't know if this is true or not, but I read it a few different places. And not knowing what to do with it, she had to go to an appointment, so she put it in the bathtub. And then she went to her appointment. When she came back, there was a note from her maid, and it said, Dear Miss Allen, I'm sorry, but I have to quit. I don't work in houses where there's an alligator. I would have told you when I was hired, but I just didn't think it would come up. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, we're starting a new series, and it's on the book of Mark in the Bible in our New Testament. And one thing that becomes evident very quickly is that Jesus was not was what the people were expecting. He was full of surprises. Mark tells the story of Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene always in motion and full of surprises. He walks up to fishermen and he says, come, follow me. Not the usual greeting. And they don't just laugh at him. They drop everything and they, they follow him. And then a couple verses later, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and people look at each other in amazement, surprised because he doesn't teach like any of their regular teachers. And then without pause, Jesus commands an evil spirit to come out of a possessed man and it shakes the person violently and, and, and comes out with a shriek. And again, the people, they're so amazed, they look at each other and they say, what is this, a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. Then he goes and he heals somebody of a fever, and the whole town gathers around to, to have people healed, and, and 
Yet early in the morning, Jesus gets up before everybody else and leaves by himself. He goes off. He finds a quiet place to pray. And the town gets up. They're looking all over for him. When they finally find him, they're like, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. And this is just a little part of the first chapter of the book of Mark. There are four books in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus that we call the Gospels. The four first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of these tell the story of Jesus, of his time on earth, and they come from a different perspective. So the, the, the story reads a little differently depending on who you're reading because they have different personalities and purposes for writing and audiences that they're writing, writing to. Mark is the shortest and it's the most action-packed. His focus was describing on who Jesus was while he was on earth, who Jesus is, by what he did. And he wanted people to not only understand Jesus, but also to be invited to follow him and to be loyal to him, even and mostly when life is really difficult. Jesus is central to everything we do here at Lakeview Heights because of who he is and what he did when he came to earth as one of us. We spent the whole month, last month in December, celebrating his birth. And every Sunday we sing praises to him and we strive to follow and obey him every day, in every moment, in everything that we do. Who is this Jesus? We're going to work our way through Mark. And because from start to finish, it's about Jesus, who he was, what he did, and what that means for all of us. For many of you, it will be very familiar. You've read through the Gospels many times, those four books. You've read through Mark many times. For some of you, it may be new. For all of us, our challenge is to invite the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to Jesus. Sometimes to learn something new. Sometimes to uh, understand Jesus in a different way. And sometimes to recognize a contradiction in the way we're living and what he's calling us into. Always to know him better. To love him deeper. To follow him closer and to share him genuinely, consistently, and instinctively because we walk with him. What I want to do this morning is to give you an overview, a bird's eye view, a summary of the book of Mark and some of its themes, to give you perspective, to give you a better understanding of the book as a whole before we dive into the first passage next week. There's a great free website online called The Bible Project. It's, it's, I've looked at The Bible Project and referenced it a lot in the past few years. And they produce videos and other resources that, that help people understand the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And they have an overview of every book of the Bible. And so we're going to watch the overview of the book of Mark now to get, a, to get a visual as well as audio uh, understanding 
of the book. So watch this video. The Gospel According to Mark is one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed this story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus' actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in act one, everybody's blown away by Jesus and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In act two, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in act three, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it unfolds. After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John the Baptist as that messenger and then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives, and then by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. From here, Mark's given us a big block of stories showing us Jesus' power as he brings God's kingdom. He goes about healing people whose bodies are sick or broken or under the oppression of dark spiritual powers. And Jesus even does something that for Jewish people only God has the right to do. He forgives people's sins. And Jesus' actions here produce lots of different responses. So some people follow him and become his disciples. Other people don't know what to think, and still others reject him completely, especially Israel's leaders who accuse him of blaspheming God and being empowered by evil. But Jesus isn't surprised by these responses. In fact, he draws attention to it. In chapter 4, Mark has collected many of Jesus' parables about the hidden, mysterious nature of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that his message is like seed falling on different types of soil. Some are receptive, some are not. Or it's like a mustard seed that's very tiny, it seems insignificant, but then it grows huge and surprises everyone. Jesus' point is that he really is the Messiah, bringing God's kingdom, but it doesn't look like what anybody expected. And this growing confusion about Jesus among the crowds is connected to a key idea Mark emphasizes at the end of Act 1, that even among Jesus' disciples there's confusion. Even they are struggling to grasp who Jesus really is, and that brings us to Act 2. It begins with a crucial conversation. Jesus takes the disciples aside and he asks, who do you all say that I am? And Peter speaks up saying, you're the Messiah. 
but it becomes clear that for Peter this means that Jesus is a victorious military king from the line of David who will rescue Israel from the Romans. But for Jesus to be the Messiah means that he's the suffering servant king of Isaiah 53 who will bring God's rule by giving up his life in Jerusalem. And the disciples, they don't get it. They think following King Jesus is going to mean fame and status and importance, and Jesus makes it clear that following him is actually like dying, like carrying your own cross. It means rejecting violence and pride and selfishness and giving one's life out for others in acts of service and love. He has the same conversation with them two more times, and it all culminates in Jesus' important statement that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to become a servant and give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples still don't get it. They respond in confusion and fear. And so here in Act 2, Mark has placed another key story that echoes the book's introduction. Jesus takes three of his disciples up to a mountain, and he's suddenly transformed. He's radiating with light and glory, and a cloud envelops them. Now, this is just like the glory of the God of Israel that showed up long ago on Mount Sinai. And then the two prophets who stood in God's presence on Mount Sinai, Moses and Elijah, they appear next to Jesus as God announces again, this is my beloved son. Now, by placing this story in the middle of all these conversations in Act 2, Mark is making an astounding claim that Jesus, God's Son, is the physical embodiment of God's own glory. And in Jesus, the glorious God of Israel is going to become king by suffering and dying for the sins of his own people. It's a puzzling claim that confuses and scares the disciples as they leave the mountain. Which brings us to Act 3. Jesus makes a very public royal entry into Jerusalem for Passover. People are hailing him as the Messiah. Then he enters into the temple courtyard and he asserts his royal authority by running out the thieves and crooks and stopping the sacrificial system. Then this kicks off a whole week of Jesus debating and confronting the leaders of Israel, condemning their hypocrisy, and so they set in motion a plan to have him killed. And Jesus warns his disciples, predicting that Jerusalem and its temple will be destroyed within a generation, and his disciples will be persecuted just like him, until he returns one day to bring God's kingdom fully over the world. And it all leads up to the final night. Jesus has his last Passover meal with the disciples, a symbolic meal that told the story of Israel's liberation from slavery through the death of the Passover lamb. And Jesus takes these symbols and he gives them new meaning. They point to the liberation from sin and death that will happen through the death of the suffering servant Messiah. From here, the story rushes forward to Jesus' arrest, his trial before Israel's priests and the Roman governor Pilate, all resulting in Jesus' crucifixion. And it culminates in a key scene that matches the important scenes from Acts 1 and 2, except this time it's darkness that descends, not a cloud. And instead of the divine voice from heaven, it's Jesus' voice crying out before he dies. And then most surprising is that it's a Roman soldier who sees Jesus die, who grasps and then announces who Jesus is. This man was the Son of God. He's the first person in the story to recognize the story's shocking claim about Jesus' identity, that it's the crucified Son of God who's the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, who died for his friends and for his enemies. 
After this, Jesus' body is placed in a tomb, and on the first day of the new week, two women from his disciples come to the tomb, and they discover that the tomb is empty, the stones rolled away, and an angelic man informs them that Jesus isn't here, that he's risen from the dead. And so he orders them to go and tell this good news to the other disciples that Jesus is alive, that he'll meet them back up in Galilee. And the women, they're freaked out. Mark says that they fled from the tomb in terror, telling no one, for they were afraid. And that's how the book ends, with Jesus' disciples showing the same kind of fear and confusion that concluded Acts 2 and 1. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that the Gospel of Mark has more to its ending, where Jesus appears, he speaks to his disciples, but there's also a note there telling you that that ending is not part of the original book, that it's only found in later, less reliable manuscripts. Now, it's possible that the original ending got lost, or that Mark actually never finished writing his account, but it's more likely that this abrupt ending is intentional to make a point. The entire story has focused on the shocking claim that puzzled Jesus' disciples from beginning beginning to end, that it's the suffering, crucified, and risen Jesus who's the Messiah, the Son of God, that God's love and upside-down kingdom were revealed as Jesus died for the sins of the world. And so this story ends without closure, and it forces you, the reader, to grapple with this very strange and scandalous claim about Jesus. And are you going to run away like the women? Or are you going to recognize Jesus as your king and go and tell the good news? And only you can answer that question. And that's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. I know that's a lot of information. And you can watch it again anytime uh, at home. That's the Bible Project Online. Um, <clears throat> but it's a great overview. Jesus asks his disciples, and he asks us, who do you say I am? Mark shows how Jesus proved himself to be the Son of God, the embodiment of God's glory, someone who is fully divine, fully God, and therefore he has authority to forgive sins and to reign as king. But the surprising part of this truth is that he doesn't come and claim his throne through force, through proclaimed fame or power. He does not come to be served, as Mark 10.45 says, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came as the unexpected Messiah who claims his throne through suffering and serving with deep, compassionate love. He surprises people, even the disciples who've walked with him, just when they think they know who he is and what he's all about. Peter, uh, Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And yet a couple of verses later, it becomes evident that he doesn't really understand what that means. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. If you think you have Jesus all figured out, think again. He will surprise you. He confronts the religious leaders who think that they they have God all figured out and know exactly what they, he wants from them, and they're doing it. He invites the lowliest of sinners. Who do you say I am? Mark shows Jesus always on the move, but never in a hurry. Jesus knows his mission, and he moves towards it with determination and with action. But he notices, and he loves the person in front of him.
he uh, stops for the woman who touches his robes to be healed, even though Jairus is begging him to come quicker to heal his daughter who is dying. He takes time for the person in front of him. He touches lepers who are shunned and pushed aside and nobody wants to be around. And he calls the children that the disciples are holding back because they might get in his way. He calls them to him. Mark exposes us to Jesus by how he lived. And the crucial question that he invites all of his readers is, who do you say I am? Throughout the book, we see some that don't believe in him. Then they reject him. They're offended or they're afraid or they're just unwilling to admit that they that they don't understand or they're unwilling to change their lives in order to follow him because that's what he demands. Others are surprised, but they recognize that he is the suffering servant, son of God, who is king over creation, who invites us to follow him, to know him, to suffer with him, and to serve him. And one day, experience the joy of complete victory with him. Who do you say he is? Mark 1.1, the title of the book, the overarching banner of the book is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Because the story doesn't end with the last words of the book. We are part of the story of the good news of Jesus. And the question for everyone today as well as then is, who do you say I am? Our invitation and our challenge as we enter into this study of the book of Mark is to invite the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to Jesus, sometimes to learn something new, sometimes to see things in a different way, Sometimes, and probably most often, to recognize a contradiction in the way we're living and what Jesus is calling us to, and to be willing to follow him anyways, to change, to let his spirit work in us to change us. Because who he is and what we believe about him affects everything. We always want to know him better, love him deeper, follow him closer, and share him genuinely, consistently, and instinctively because he's the most important thing to us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that speaks to us every time we read it. If we are open to what you are saying, if we recognize that we don't have you all figured out because how can a finite being figure out an infinite being? You will always and forever be a mystery to us and yet you invite us to know you. There will always be more to learn about you and more ways to draw nearer and closer and... and, um, be challenged by you. As we begin to look at the book of Mark, I pray that 
we would examine ourselves, are we willing? Are we willing to admit that we might not have Jesus figured out? That you will challenge us in new ways. That you will invite us deeper. Help us to be ready for that. And help us to just delight and be surprised in joyful ways by who you are and that we get to be your children, that we get to be part of the story of Jesus. What an amazing gift. What an amazing invitation. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>